you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kate. Well, tonight, it's kind of fun to say, uh, we are closing our series in uh, Romans chapter 8. I can uh, tell you about the place where I was when I unpacked uh, Romans chapter 8, maybe for one of the first few times. Uh, This was like a church camp kind of moment, like one of those campfire kind of moments Uh, where we read this scripture uh, that nothing can separate you uh, from the love of God. And I think that's a powerful word, not just when Paul is speaking it in the first century, in a church that's trying to figure out how do we live in a time when everything looks like is speaking against Jesus as the Lord. Because that's where the early church was. Like who, who did it appear who was in charge? Rome and Caesar. And God had promised all of these things to his followers that his spirit was going to indwell them, that his spirit was going to empower them. And yet, what the early Christians had to grapple with was holding those promises of God and also their experience of hardship, like their experience of trouble, And he writes to them and says, nothing, nothing in all of creation 
has the power to separate you for me. And I think we all have an experience of being separated from a group of people, right? Like we've all been to a, a large group event, whether that's some kind of sporting event, some kind of concert, I don't know, even the grocery store. Anybody like get lost, get separated from your people in the grocery store, and you're like, what aisle are you in? I'm by the bread. Oh, Okay, I'll be right there. Right? Like we have the experience of being separated from people to whom we belong. And I also think it's true that many of us carry around in our body, in our person, in our mind, in our heart, this fear that there's something that can separate me from God. There's something that can separate me from his love. That maybe his love isn't as strong as I imagine it to be. It's like when you're a child and you look at your parents as being the strongest, most powerful people that you know. And then what happens? They get older and they change And they still carry with them this inner strength. But outwardly, they start to change. And I think for some of us, when we think about the love of God, I think we grapple and we wrestle and we wonder. Like, is it really as powerful as God says that it is? Like, what about this situation? What about this hardship? What about this moment? And Paul is writing to this church to say, nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. So, Romans chapter 8, if we skip ahead to verse 35, which this is like the the chorus of a song that Paul is, is writing to this Jesus community. And he just writes these words. It's really a question, like who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble separate us from the love of Christ? Should hardship separate us from the love of Christ? Should persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And can I tell you what that sounds a lot like? That sounds a lot like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he kind of details his biography of suffering. Like he tells the church all of the hardship that he's endured. Remember he talks about being shipwrecked. Remember, he talks about being whipped. We did some math last week when we figured out that 40 minus 1 equals 39. And he's encountered that kind of pain and that kind of suffering. And Paul in Romans chapter 8 is telling the church, like even in those moments, even in that suffering, I'm not separated from the love that God has for me. I think he wants them to know that the love of God was with him in all of those places. That the love of God was with him in trouble. 
that the love of God was with him in hardship. The love of God was with him in persecution. The love of God was with him in nakedness. Like when everything had been taken away, when everything had been stripped away. The thing that remained was the unshakable love of God. And when he was in danger, danger for his very life, and then sword, even in the violence, the love of God remained present with him. And Paul wants to say that, you know, suffering, hardship, trouble in the life of a follower of Jesus it's not an anomaly. Like, this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. John Calvin, uh, this guy who lived a super long time ago, um, once wrote this, these words. It is no new thing for the Lord to permit his saints to be undeservingly exposed to the cruelty of the ungodly. So, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to embrace hardships, is to embrace suffering, is to embrace danger. But in those places, when our feet hit those places, we can know that the love of God remains still. There's this moment in Acts chapter 5. And Peter and some of the people that hung around with Peter, uh, they get in trouble because they're telling about Jesus. Uh, They're telling of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, and the religious leaders don't like that very much, and so they tell them to stop. And Peter and the people who were with him were like, how about no? It's like that moment with a seven-year-old. Hey, do this or not. And they tell them to stop preaching about Jesus. They refuse to do so. And so what happens is the disciples get beat up because the religious leaders want to deter this kind of message from spreading in the world. And so the disciples are are beaten severely and then the religious leaders let them go. Instead of throwing them in prison, don't worry, that happens later. So that happens to them too. That's just not this time. They get released. And it's so interesting to me in Acts chapter 5, you can read it for yourself later, that the way that the disciples leave that moment, the way that they leave the moment is not like, this whole Jesus thing is a joke. Like he comes to earth and he teaches us all this stuff and he, he calls us and he empowers us to live this kind of way. And then like he lets us walk through this darkness, like through this suffering. Like never mind this guy who just like was raised to life and then he ascended into heaven and he sent his spirit at Pentecost. Man, God has left us. God has dropped us and God has dumped us in this moment. That's not what the disciples do at all. They don't turn to each other ready to to leave Jesus. They turn to one another and they are glad. They are rejoicing. The rejoicing, the text says, because they were able to suffer for the name of Jesus. So how present and how powerful is the love of God? 
how present and how powerful the love of God is that you can be beaten and be rejoicing. And I just know that this is a community of faith who knows about that. That you have been beaten by the wind. You've been beaten by the waves. You've been beaten by suffering and by doubt and by hardship and by pain and by worry. And you haven't quit. You haven't walked away from God. You haven't pushed the chips in and said, well, it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be different. Like the road isn't supposed to be this like bumpy cobblestone road. It's supposed to be smooth. Like some of the roads that they work on in the summertime. Praise the Lord, 33rd Street opened this summer. I thought I was going to lose my mind. You have lived this out. And, and how is that possible? It's possible because of the love of God. The love of God does not leave us in trouble. The love of God empowers us and convinces us in trouble that God is still working. He's still able. He's still good. And he's still present in the trouble. In the nakedness, in the hardship, in the danger, in the sword. And this is what Paul is reminding the church. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. In verse 37, he says, No, in all of these things, in what things? In trouble. In hardship, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, in danger, in sword. In those things. Not in the easy things. But in the difficult, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking things. In all of these things. Verse 37. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The original language has the word but instead of no. So he lists all of these things and says, but in all of these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So notice that it's through him that we're conquerors, not through our own strength, our own wisdom, our own ideas, our own expertise, our own popularity, our own ideas about what to do next. We're conquerors through him, by his name and in his name, by his power and in his power, by his grace and in his grace. And if you ask the Bible about the love of God, that might be a good thing to do. The Bible's response, the Bible's answer to what the love of God is, the Bible will tell you the love of God is not a feeling but a force that shapes all kinds of suffering. The love of God is not just some kind of feeling that you get when you're close to God, but it's a powerful force that shapes even the deepest, darkest, most confusing kind of suffering. Paul says, you want to talk about trouble? Been there. Hardship? Yep. Persecution, 
Yes. Famine, nakedness, danger, and sword? Yes, I have been there. And do you know what, who was with me in those moments? Do you know what was guiding me, what was empowering me, what was the wind to my back was the love of God. And I have to tell you that when I think about the love of God, I tend to think about chicken broth. Um, when you are making soup, Let's say we're going to make, should we make chicken noodle soup tonight? Yeah, let's do that. Good idea. Thank you for that. You know, you need some chicken. You need some vegetables. In our house, we kind of like doing celery, and we like doing carrots, and we throw in some other kinds of things too, and then you need, I'm kind of partial to Swanson's chicken broth, but you can get the Hy-Vee, it's fine. It's probably better for the pocketbook anyway, and what happens is that you add the chicken broth to the mixture. And why do you add the chicken broth to the mixture? Like what happens to everything that's in the pot? There's nothing that goes inside of this pot that the chicken broth is not going to fill, that it's not going to shape, that's not going to impact. It is not possible for a piece of a carrot, a piece of celery, a piece of chicken to be in this pot and not be infused, not be shaped, not be impacted, not be changed by the broth. So too the love of God covers and shapes and infuses every experience of our life. The things that you, the days you never want to walk in again. The doubts that have so filled your heart and your mind. That the love of God is so present, so powerful that you can leave a moment rejoicing. Because the moment you were in didn't choke out the love of God. What the love of God did was it shaped the suffering. It shaped everything that was in the pot. Your whole life experience. And if we ask the Bible, Bible, tell us about the love of God. I think the Bible would tell you two things about the love of God. Number one, I think it would tell you that it is God's affection for you. It is God demonstrating how he feels about you. And we have stories all over in the scriptures about this. That God calls his nation Israel out of darkness into light, out of slavery into freedom, out of Egypt and into the promised land. So when we talk about the love of God, yes, of course, it's about God's affection. But we can't talk about the love of God without, the Bible says, talking about the empowerment that comes to his people in and through and by and under his love. So it's not just like a new parent doting on, you ever see a new parent talk to a baby? They get ridiculous. Oh, what'd you, what'd you, what'd you? It's not just that. Look at your cute little nose. And sometimes when we think of the love of God, I think that's our picture. But it's also power in trouble. Like power when we're being beat up. Like power when we're filled with doubt. Power when we're in the middle of hardship and pain and anguish. 
It's the love of God that centers us and roots us and defines us. And then verse 38. Paul's convinced of something. I'm convinced. And he gives some examples. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's some pairs, death nor life. And for a long time, the way that I understood this verse, what Paul was saying, that, that even when you die, you're not separated from the love of God. Because there's resurrection. And I think that's part of what he's saying. But more than that, I think Paul is talking about the visible world. I think he's talking about the ebb and flow of life. That there's moments that you will walk through in life that are moments of death, moments of decay, hardship, trouble, persecution, nakedness, danger, and sword. And then there's moments of life, moments of grace, moments of joy. And this is the ebb and flow of life. That nothing can happen in life that can separate you from the love that I have. My doting love and my empowering love. And we all know how this works. The season of life that we are in can change with one text message. Like one moment we're standing in this kind of a season. And then... And all of a sudden, we're in a different one. There is an ebb and a flow of life. Death nor life can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Angels and demons. So this invisible world. So death and life is the visible world that we can see things that we can experience, and then he talks about angels and demons. The invisible world. Like nothing can happen in and through them that can separate you from the love of God, present nor the future. I don't know about you, but I think for a lot of us, we are very uncomfortable with uncertainty. We feel much more comfortable knowing what tomorrow is going to hold and what's going to happen, what's going to unfold, and how we're going to respond to those things. Paul says, nothing is happening now that can separate you from the love of God, and nothing's happening in the future that will be able to separate you from the love of God. So there's no temptation in your present, like no thing that you struggle with, no compulsion even. This like thing you're trying to stop, this habit you're trying to break, this pattern that you want to get out of does not have the power to separate you from the love of God and nothing in your future. Nothing that you will walk in that has the power to separate you from 
the love of God. And so Paul wants to say, I'm going to invite the band up as we close tonight. Paul wants to say, I'm convinced because of my experience of God in the low places of life that nothing can separate you from God's love. Why is that true? It's true because God has loved you from eternity past. From before you were even you. That's like the predestined part. Do you guys just see that? I just hit my water bottle with my finger and I caught it. I'm so glad we got video today because that will replay for my grandma later. The reason that's true is God's love didn't begin when you had breath in your lungs. God's love for you began when he said from his mouth, let there be light. And there was chaos, and there was formlessness, and there was emptiness. We've talked about this before. The tohu wabohu, the emptiness of the world, the chaos of the world. And God speaks into the world. What does God speak into the world? God speaks love into the world. He speaks grace into the world. He speaks power into the world. He speaks order into the world. The love of God began for you in that moment before you even existed, the Bible says. And so Paul says, I've experienced the love of God in the low places. And if you're going to build your life on something, build it on the love that God has for you. Don't build it on what you can make possible. Don't build it on what other people have said. Build it on his love. That's what Paul wants to tell the the church. Paul wants to say that God's for you and you cannot be separated from his love. And I think it's possible to, to be here tonight and, I mean, these are sort of easy verses to read, easy verses to say. Like, yeah, nothing's gonna separate me. But can I tell you, I think these are some of the most difficult scriptures to live. To live as though nothing can separate me from God. Because our experience of the world is what? That it's filled with stuff that are working together to separate us from God. And so they're hard verses to get our arms around, to get deep within our hearts to fully embrace. And as we, there's like 70-ish days until we get to Easter time. And there's 10 words. You can go to that slide that says 10 words on it. That'd be, this does not separate me from the love of God. And what I want for our church like from now until Easter, that when we wake up in the morning, that we would say this, that this moment, whatever's going on in this day, this hardship, this experience that I'm having, this does not separate me from the love of God. And that we would say that to ourselves so much that it gets deep in here. Like this confusing situation that I'm in, 
like this dark place, this does not separate me from the love of God because the love of God existed for me before this moment existed for me. So beautiful. God's love pre-exists the trouble. And so God's love is the first word. But God's love also is the last word, isn't it? And what's in between Alpha and Omega, first and the last, are forces that would seek to separate you from his love. And so because that's true, we need to preach this to ourselves. This does not separate me from the love of God. This pain does not separate me from the love of God. This person's opinion about me does not separate me from the love of God. This worry that I have woken up with today does not separate me from the love of God. This compulsion that I am wrestling with, this temptation that I'm finding, fighting does not separate me from the love of God. Paul's writing this to this church because I believe that Paul has had to preach this to himself when he's been in danger and persecution and nakedness and sword. And he's found something to hold on to, an anchor for his soul, and I believe it's these words. This does not separate me from the love of God. We pray with me, Lord God, we thank you tonight for Romans. Uh, we thank you for this in incredible letter, these incredible words that are written to a, a people who are in desperate need of hope, desperately in need of grace, desperate in need of being reminded of the shaping power of your love. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people who are gathered here, for the people who will listen to this later. God, I want to pray for the people here tonight who desperately just need to be reminded that your love has existed before the trouble and your love has the power to shape the trouble for your good purposes. And so God, we wanna be a people not who run from hardship, run from trouble, run from pain, but we wanna be people who are rooted in your love so that we don't misunderstand it. We don't misunderstand your hand and what you are up to. So God, we love you. We thank you tonight in Jesus' name for the love that is ours in Christ. We pray this believing in the one who came because he loved us. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.